If you have your Bibles, we turn with me once again, if you would, to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9. Most of you, I think, have been here. Maybe some of you have not been here for the past few weeks as we have been camped out in Isaiah chapter 9. Advent meditations, Christological reflections on who this child born to us, this son given to us, is all about. What he is all about. And let me remind you just briefly by way of review once again, of the context into which the prophet writes, God's people, the people of Israel, the people of the 8th century BC are fumbling in a world of darkness. They're fearful in a world of distress. Things are not great for them. And while we don't know by experience anyway, their specific plight, we certainly know, I think, we certainly feel the need for light, the need for joy in this life. And so I remind you that these words, ancient words on a page, yes, but they speak to us today as much as they spoke to God's people in the 8th century B.C. These are things that our hearts desperately need to hear. These are promises for us, not just for ancient Israel, for the child was born to us, the son was given to us. He will be, as we talked about, a wonder of a counselor. He is a wonder of a counselor, the one who still speaks by his spirit and through his word. He will be and he is the hero who is God mightier than our sin, mightier than our enemy. And today we move on to the next title in this passage. Two words that are actually one Hebrew word that we're going to unpack for just a moment and I pray be led to worship the two words, Everlasting Father. And so let's listen once again. If you're willing and able, I'd encourage you to stand for the reading of God's word. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 and 6 and 7. Listen as I read. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. This is God's word. Go ahead and be seated. Like a lot of fundamental institutions, there is a crisis of fatherhood in our day. A crisis not so much in regards to what a father is, although amazingly there is some debate and some discussion about that as well, but rather our inability to be consistently good fathers. 
I don't know if you know this or not, but the United States holds the infamous title of being the world's leader in fatherlessness. The U.S. Census Bureau data shows that 18.5 million children are growing up without fathers in this country. 80% of single-parent homes are mothers. That means that 25% of American youth do not have a father in the house. And those statistics create other tragic statistics. 85% of children and teens with behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 70% of adolescent patients in drug and alcohol treatment centers come from fatherless homes. 90% of homeless and runaway children, you guessed it, come from fatherless homes. I mean, that would be enough, but then even the fathers that are around often aren't what they should be. Believe me, I'm very aware that in speaking to a group this large, there are those here who have been abandoned by your fathers. There are those here who your fathers have failed you in other ways, through emotional, verbal, or even physical abuse. Some of you carry significant wounds because of the failures of your fathers. I know that I have failed my kids in ways that I don't even realize as a father in ways I'm not even aware of yet. The point is this. We all have experienced the limitation of earthly fathers. And as a result, this title that we're going to look at today for just a moment, Everlasting Father, it hits us all a little bit different, doesn't it? Just when we hear that word, Father, I want to tackle this this morning, similar to how we did last week. First of all, just establishing the simple truth, and then just briefly considering one of its implications. So two truths for us this morning, and the first one is this. Jesus is your perfect Father forever. Jesus is your perfect Father forever. You've all heard Maybe you've used the phrase, she is the girl of my dreams. He is the boy of my dreams. Well, we might say Jesus is the father of your dreams. He's everything you wanted, everything you needed your dad to be and more. He's ideal. He's true. He will never leave. He is perfect. Now, before we talk about what that might mean for us, what that does mean for us, I'd like to begin with what this title, what this passage is not saying. First of all, Isaiah is not attributing the Trinitarian title of Father to the Son, Jesus. In other words, and this is kind of a theological point, he's not confusing the first and second persons of the Trinity. Even though we've clearly established that the child born to us in Isaiah chapter 9 is Jesus of Nazareth and that that Jesus is God himself, the mighty God, Isaiah is not defining his nature here. I hope we all know from the teaching here at Ascension that the doctrine of the Trinity is at the core of the Christian faith. Scriptures don't use that term, the Trinity, 
But the fact that we worship and serve one God who exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is clearly revealed to us in the Bible. And of course, the early church wrestled with this and rightly established it as a fundamental teaching of Christianity, that our God is both perfect unity, meaning there is no competition within him, there is no differing agendas between the three persons, and yet he is also a God of perfect diversity, meaning those persons have distinct roles from one another. And yes, as we've talked about before, this is impossible to get our heads fully around. The Trinity is one of those mysterious doctrines. No human illustration does justice to it. You can try all sorts of things. No human illustration does justice to it. As David would say, it is too wonderful for us to fully understand And then even to make things a little more complicated, a little more astounding, Isaiah says Jesus is the everlasting Father, and then Jesus, when he's on earth, says stuff like this. John 10.30, I and the Father are one. John 10.38, the Father is in me and I am in the Father. John 14.9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Mystery. There's perfect Unity, and yet there is a distinction as well. Well, this is not a lecture on Trinitarian theology. We'll have to do that another time. Let me just simply say we can't remove all the mystery, but we must, we can protect the doctrine. Jesus, the Son, is not the Father, nor is He the Spirit. That's the first thing Isaiah is not saying. The second thing is, has to do with the word everlasting. When Isaiah uses that word everlasting, he is not primarily talking about Jesus' being. In other words, Jesus' relationship to time. Yes, we read at the beginning of John's gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. We've talked about already in this series, though Jesus was not always incarnate, Jesus was not always in flesh, he has always existed and always will exist now in flesh, glorified flesh. Not only that, but Isaiah 9 makes clear that his is a kingdom, his is a throne that will go on forever and ever. We're going to press into that next week on Christmas morning as we come to the last title. All that to say that while it's true that Jesus is God, the eternal one, with no beginning and no end, present at creation and reigning forevermore, the emphasis in this passage is not on that, it's on his relationship to his people. We could translate it this way. He is one who is eternally a father. Jesus is one who is eternally a father. In other words, this is primarily a word of affection. It's not necessarily for your intellects. It's for, as I prayed, for your hearts, 
It's the kind of tenderness that David expressed in Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14. As a father shows compassion to his children, so Yahweh shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And so the fatherhood of God, specifically the fatherhood of Jesus, what kind of ramifications are there of such a profound description? Well, there, there's a ton. There's a ton. But like all of these titles, we're just going to scratch the surface and let's just meditate on one amazing reality. And it's our second truth this morning. Jesus as your Father forever means you are family. Seems like this was a good place to go. The week before Christmas, the week before families converge or collide, however it is in your house. Jesus as your Father forever means you are family. And my wife knows that I'm a sucker for sappy videos sometimes you just need a good cry whether it be like a homecoming video or my latest diversion secret santa surprises from east idaho news you got to check them out east idaho news yeah write it down Another batch of videos that, that are going around or that are on the internet are these wonderful videos where these dads surprise their foster kids or their stepchild with the official documents that solidify them as fathers forever. Those are great too. Because these kids know what that means. These kids who, some of them have spent years as orphans, know that if they have a father now, they have provision, they have protection, they have belonging, they have a name. And the title, Everlasting Father, that Jesus is ascribed here means that all those things come to us. We who look in faith to the Lord Jesus The Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, what is adoption? Adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. By God's grace, because of the person and work of the child born to us, the son Jesus, the privileges are ours. Well, what are the privileges then? Well, there's too many of those to go through too this morning. But let me just focus on one. Access. We have access. Even though we're here in America, it seems like we can't stop hearing about news about the British royals, right? Obviously, the Queen's passing was big news this year in the majority of the world. Some of you may be watching that popular Netflix series, The Crown. Some of you may be interested in the drama concerning Harry and Meghan and their renouncement of their royal titles. Whether you're into that or not, I'm not particularly into it, but I hear about it. Their lives are indeed fascinating. Just the whole monarchy is indeed fascinating. I brought it up in different contexts. 
I hope my wife's okay with me outing her, but she was watching The Crown the other night, and I happened to walk in on a scene where the young man, Prince Charles, had to request an audience with his mother. By that point, he was probably in his mid-20s, and he had to ask if he could talk to his mother, because of course, she's the queen. Harry's wife, Megan, ruffled some feathers when she incredulously recalled having to curtsy when she first met Harry's grandmother because she was the queen, of course. It illustrates this simple statement, that power often creates distance and requirements to be close. Even times in families, right? I mean, perhaps going back to your own story, perhaps your dad was hard to approach. I've heartbreakingly heard at times from my kids that because of a particular mood that I was in, they were scared to come and ask me of something. What I want us to hear this morning, what I want us to just meditate on and just rejoice in again, that's not Jesus. That's not your father. That's not your father because of Jesus. See, Jesus is not the father. We've already established that. But Jesus has made the father known to us. Jesus came that we might have a relationship with God the father. And how does Jesus describe himself? Gentle and lowly in heart the most approachable being in the universe. Sinclair Ferguson, theologian, pastor, author, he wrote this in one of his books. He says, you cannot open the pages of the New Testament without realizing that one of the things that makes it so new in every way is that here men and women call God Father. This conviction that we can speak to the maker of the universe in such intimate terms lies at the heart of the Christian faith. Through Christ, says Paul, we have access to the Father. References to God as Father are exceedingly rare in the Old Testament. By contrast, there are over 200 references to God as Father scattered throughout the New Testament. That is the astonishing testimony to the new sense of God's grace that came with the message of the gospel. I know you know this. I know this. It's so simple to say, but it's hard to believe. And it's even harder to put into practice. The access was once limited. It was once, as Hebrews 12 says, terrifying But now through Christ, everything has changed. Galatians 4, we studied that passage a year ago. God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Ephesians 3, in Him we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. And the implications of this, Paul says in the very next phrase, so we do not lose heart. Because of that reality, we do not lose heart. In the darkness, in the distress, in the despair. 
Because Jesus' presence proves a fatherly affection and a love and even a delight for you. A delight that some of us have never experienced. Some of us can only dream of. But this morning, you need to believe that it's yours. Through the Gospel, it is yours. Jesus has come to reveal the Father that you never had. Jesus has come to reconcile you to the Father. You who were too far off to come close by yourself. That's good news. And that's the message of Christmas. No hoops to jump through, no fear to overcome. Only approachable love forever. Jesus, the forever Father, means that your family forever. And what's Jesus doing right now? He's preparing your place. Your place in your Father's house. As we celebrate His coming to earth in the flesh, as we look forward to His coming again, hear His words to His disciples in John 14, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to Myself, that where I am, you may be also." This kind of promise is sustenance through the darkness and through the distress. When loved ones die in car wrecks, when babies struggle to get out of the NICU, that's why Jesus began, before these words, He began with this admonishment in John 14.1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Brothers and sisters, some of us have had really good fathers. I'm one of those. Others of you have had terrible fathers. Some, no fathers at all. No matter what your experience with your father, Isaiah is communicating that you have a father forever. Jesus, through His fatherly posture towards us, combined with His might that we looked at last week, His wisdom from the week before, reveals to us the Father of our dreams. A Father who delights in you. A Father who loves you. A Father who is always available to you. Who will never leave you. Who will provide you with everything you need. Who will protect you with His mighty hand. So give thanks. Don't lose heart. Don't let your hearts be troubled, but rather take hold of this child. Take hold of this Jesus and pray for and long for and get ready for His return and for His full embrace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for this simple truth, this simple reminder, this wonderful title that You, Lord Jesus, are the One who is eternally a Father to us. Oh Father, You know the cry of our heart. You know the desires of our heart. And though our hearts may look in vain all kinds of other places, we know that they can only find rest in You. And so I pray, particularly this week in the midst of the busyness, in the midst of the pain even, that some of us may be feeling, 
that these realities, that this title, Everlasting Father, would be a balm for our soul. O Holy Spirit, do your work in us, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.